from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. Welcome to Money Talk for Friday, January 26, 2024. Tonight, your Milwaukee Bucks host the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Panther and at the Panther Arena. The Milwaukee Admirals welcome the Rockford Ice Hogs. Again, both the Bucks and the Admirals are at home tonight. Downtown will be a little crowded. Let's start with some potty mouth parrots. A British zoo plans to rehabilitate eight foul mouthed African gray parrots. They've been accused of swearing using proper expletives. Swearing always sounded better with a British accent. A Chinese marathon runner is disqualified for chain smoking throughout the entire race. He was disqualified because he can't smoke because you can't smoke on the track. His time was three hours and twenty-eight minutes. And he finished five hundred and seventy-fourth out of fifteen hundred runners. Sounds like some of those other marathoners should start smoking. <laughs> File this runner, what goes around comes around. Conservative commentator Bill O'Reilly promoted the Florida book banning and removal of some books from school libraries. And then they pulled two of his books. What goes around comes around. And finally, you can find a collector for almost everything. For example, Winston Churchill's false teeth. They go up for auction next month and bidding will start at $10,000. And if you win, I guess you would have to keep them in a jar and soak them overnight. <laughs> All right, the podcast for today, we have Joel Driesang, Kendall Bauer, Steve Giles, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. A good week overall for the markets. The NASDAQ up nine-tenths of a percent, closing the bell at 15.455. The S&P 500 up 1.1%, closing at 48.91. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added 60 points on the day Friday to close up for the week, 246. That's six-tenths of a percent. Closing at the Bell Friday at 38.109 for the year. NASDAQ up a pretty stellar 3.1 already just a few weeks in. The S&P up 2.7. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average a, a still quite strong 1.4%. Yield on the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury just a tick higher on the week, closing at 4.16. Still up pretty meaningfully from the start of the year, but nowhere compared to where we were through much of the year last year as we approached 5%. You know, that's a quick look at maybe the numbers for the week on the markets. But, Joel, we got some pretty meaningful numbers this week as it relates to uh, not just the economy, but some of the Fed's measures uh, with respect to inflation. You know, maybe the place to start this week is with that fourth quarter GDP number, a first look and advanced estimate uh, at just how strong of a year last year really was from an econo economic perspective. Yeah, Kyle, that's the GDP, the gross domestic product, is the biggest, best measure of the economy and, and how it's growing or not growing. And remember, all through last year, we were expecting a recession. And lo and behold, in the fourth quarter, we uh, the economy was growing at a 3.3% annual rate. So there, there are two ways to look at it. One is that pace, that 3.3%. And that was down from the pace in the third quarter, which was 4.9%. But if you look at it another way, if you measure from year to year, from the fourth quarter of 2022, the, the GDP grew 3.1%, and that's the most that the economy has grown in a year um, in seven quarters. Uh, so, so that was pretty good. And, of course, going back those seven quarters, you're talking about an economy that was recovering from COVID. 
And so I think fair to say that when we talk about, you know, the solid foundation of the current economy, uh, the, the, the data we saw from the fourth quarter still continues to point to an economy that is far stronger than most anticipated, far stronger than I think most expected, and certainly uh, far stronger than many are counting on uh, as it relates to kind of our ability to continue to grow. You know, Kyle and Joel, I read somewhere that the GDP number that was just reported was actually a faster annual growth rate than the five years preceding the pandemic, which I found pretty hard to believe, but it goes to show us how strong this uh, economy has been. And Steve, going into the pandemic, the economy was pretty strong. It was it was kind of, a, you know, not robust, but it was it was decent. And then the pandemic upset everything. And then recovering from the pandemic upset everything. And then we had high inflation. And then the the Fed, you know, started raising interest rates. And so and it was those interest rate increases that alarmed everybody. And that's why they thought that we'd be going into a recession, because a lot of times when the Fed does that, you know, they, they try to slow down the economy by raising interest rates and, and cut off demand. And well, a well, lot it's of working, times it's, Joel, it's working. We were at 4.9% exactly. growth rate in the third quarter and now only 3.3. So we're slowing down. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good sign. And, and to what you talked about at the top, Kyle, the, the other number that we got just today was the inflation number. And that's down to 2.6% for December year to year. Um, and that's the lowest it's been since... February of 2021, and that's the last time we were below 2%, which is the Fed's long-range target anyway. But, but, but you know, also consider that we're not, out of, we're not out of the woods. All sorts of things could happen. Um, you know, these are, um, you know, we, everything's unprecedented times, I guess. But, I mean, we, the, the economists could be right. Their timing might just be off. We might still be headed for a recession in reaction to those higher interest rates, but um, but right now we don't see it. And I think buried in that inflation data, there's a thousand ways to slice and dice. One of the things that I thought was encouraging from the uh, PCE report, um, you know, this week was that the goods inflation number has essentially turned negative now, that when you look at, um, you know, the prices of goods versus the prices of services or some of the ancillary pieces of the pie, you know, we can slice and dice this a million ways. And I think that's one of the uh, the strikes always against some of these inflation measures is, well, it really depends on what you look at, right, as to whether or not we're, uh, prices are increasing more quickly or less quickly. Um, but the reality is if you're looking at the same things repeatedly, you know, the story we're telling is absolutely the truth, and that is that the rate of inflation has slowed. And it's slowed not quite enough yet, but enough to say that what the Fed has done so far has mostly worked, that they got a little more work to do, and as we look at the potential consequences of that action, you know, consumer spending would be one area where you go, hey, maybe this is something that's going to tail off a little bit because of those higher interest rates. And yet when we look at earnings reports from some of the payment processors, American Express, Visa, when we look at, uh, you know, what holiday spending looked like or consumer spending in some of those GDP and PCE numbers, all signs point to a consumer that's spending as much as ever um, and the economy benefiting, again, 70% of our economic growth is tied to that consumption, the economy benefiting from that consumer spending. And, and again, you're, you're looking at things like, you know, the visas re reports, and, and um, we, we know that uh, 
credit card debt is is going up. So that may be a sign that you know consumers may be reaching a limit too. And uh, along the lines of things that have maybe reached a limit, you know, Kendall, the the stock markets hit new all time highs quite. Uh, recently trading near those all-time highs as we speak. And I think there's a tendency as investors to look at those market peaks and go, well, okay, it's gotten as high as it's going to get for a while, and now there's this pullback, and so maybe we should just sell off for a while. Um, yeah, I, I, we talk, you and I talked about this exact thing earlier in the day, and not an hour later I had the exact same conversation with a client. They said, man, I, I you know, I I'm kicking myself because we had such a great run-up at the end of last year, and you know I, I pulled some money out of the market, and now I feel like it, it kept going up, and now I'm worried about going back in. Um, and you know, we talked about uh, a study, which I won't go too in depth on because it's not all that important. I think the takeaway from it, um, but the study itself uh, looked at um, over uh, I think a hundred-year period in the market of if, if you were to only buy in every time we hit a new all-time high and compared that you know against somebody that took that classic buy and hold strategy um, and the interesting part about it was that the buy and hold outperformed you know somebody that was buying at the all-time highs but only by a small margin meaning that it, just because we're hitting a new all-time high doesn't always mean that we're going to see a pullback um, and, you know, there's some other data as well looking at um, the years following a new all-time high after a bear market. And looking at the last 10 bear markets going back to the 1950s, and the average return one year after the all-time high coming out of that bear market was around 16%. Now, it doesn't mean that we all know that you can't see what's coming ahead, but I think it, what it does is it, it kind of pokes some holes in that myth that just because we hit an all-time high means we absolutely have to see a big pullback. You know, Kendall, there's a couple of takeaways for me from that study. And obviously the first is psychological. As investors, we, you know, we hate missing out uh, or we, we hate getting, um, you know, our clocks cleaned, if you will. So psychologically, we have to put all that aside and check our emotions at the door when it comes to investing. But the second one is, if your time horizon is long enough, you're always going to look smart buying stocks. It doesn't matter if you're buying at an all-time high or an all-time low. If it's money you know you don't need, and this is stock money to begin with, we, we don't put money into the market unless we know it's money we're not going to need for the next three, four, five, six, seven, maybe 10 years. And if your time horizon is 10 years or greater, statistically, you're going to make a right decision. You know, I think the challenge that so many investors face is that they are inundated, especially now with information. Um, and not all of it's good information, not all of it's even accurate information, uh, but it's things that kind of push them to want to take some kind of action. When the reality is, you know, to the, the point of the study, Kendall, that you were talking about, the buy and hold actually did outperform still. But again, not all that big of a gap between just buying the highs and riding them higher and, and buying and holding forever. But the, the, the very act of making a decision sometimes can sink the very ship we're trying to float on. And I think the, you know, the realities are borne out by the data. You look at what Morningstar puts together every year, this study between what investors' returns are in funds or ETFs versus what the actual return of the fund or the ETF is. 
And there is this meaningful gap between the average investor's performance and the average investor's and the average investment's performance. And it's driven strictly by that poor decision making. Now, the fact that, you know, we are always going to be pulled at by that fear and greed. And if you chase the greed and you run from the fear, well, you're probably doing the exact wrong thing at the at the wrong time. And so, you know, I think the key in all of this is to understand that um, there's a reason why we believe in balance. There's a, release, a, a reason why we believe that there's an appropriate asset allocation for every investor. It isn't the same for every investor, but there is a right place to be. Um, and if you stick to that, you avoid some of the pitfalls of trying to time what's the right investment, what's the right time, what's the, there's just too many levers to pull to get them all right if you don't have that plan set in place ahead of time. And then, Steve, of course, I think as we look at um, a year that's likely to carry a ton of volatility, a year that, again, we're, we're talking about market highs, you know, I think maybe a strong reminder for investors that what they're really looking at is not where are we going to be a month from now, three months from now, how bad is it going to be when it gets bad, but what's the opportunity set look like beyond just, you know, maybe the next six months? Yeah, and then um, once you understand where it is that you need to go, that helps you determine what the allocation is in the first place. Joel, other economic news this week that really jumped out at you? Uh, yeah, we had uh, more numbers on durable goods, which we're going to, you know, uh, you've talked about this before that, you know, we didn't really see the recession that we expected last year, the broad, you know, cutting back in the economy, but we've seen recessions. We've seen, and we're still seeing one in manufacturing. So the durable goods numbers kind of still show that, that, um, manufacturing is, is suffering a little. Um, and you could argue that, you know, housing has had a recession or maybe in one. Um, and we had more numbers on that, but there we're starting to see, uh, maybe the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the, uh, National Association of Realtors, uh, came out today with their pending home sales, which is kind of an early predictor two months later, two, one or two months later of, uh, how home sales might go. And, and, that went up 8% in the last month. And they're predicting that um, home sales are going to go up 13% in 2024. Well, that doesn't surprise us given where the 30-year fixed mortgage rate has gone. Uh, and if the Fed follows through on their desire to continue lowering rates later this year, that could be the logjam that gets unjammed uh, with respect to home buyers. Right. And, you know, again, one of the things that's going to prompt the, the Fed to start lowering rates is if the economy slows down too much, right? So they're, they're trying to get that just right momentum on where the economy is going. It's a fine line, and I think you look at um, the porch being too hot or the porch being too cold. For a long time, we've been dealing with maybe we're running a little too hot, um, and if that means we got to run a little colder than we otherwise would have for a while, well, okay, we can probably deal with that, and it's more about what we do with our portfolios, how we navigate that risk, that, you know, I think ultimately will drive much of what happens for the rest of this year. And it's a big bull. It depends upon where you put your spoon in, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah you got to stir it up good so that you get kind of an, an even distribution of temperature. Um, Joel, we got a newsletter going out this afternoon. Um, we've talked a little bit on the podcast today about some of the things I think that you'll see there. But one of the things I like to uh, highlight is some of the writing uh, and some of the work we've done in helping clients navigate 
some of the potential financial fraud, financial risks that are out there. I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think you can talk about it enough. And you put together a great piece uh, for the newsletter coming out this afternoon, just talking about one of those risks. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, you know, this sort of uh, came from discussions that we've had in the office about, um, you know, uh, attempts to part people from their money. And um, there are, you're right, there are so many scams that are going on uh, and, and they're they're um, changing all the time. There are new ones every day. So um, I, I started a feature last month where just kind of want to alert people to, to things that are going on so that they can, e- even if it's not that particular scam that they get exposed to, they're at least being more mindful. And, and the one that I, I mentioned this time is check fraud, where you know, seeing more and more uh, banks and credit unions reporting how uh, individuals are losing their checks, people are are stealing the mail, they're they're assaulting letter carriers and 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 getting uh, checks that way, and then they're they're washing off the ink so that they can change who the check is made out to and and how much money is involved. And um, I mean, involved in an organization that lost a lot of money with something like that happening and, and you have to be careful and there are some tips in there, one of which is to, to use, you know, secure online payments when possible. Then you avoid all that. Yeah, I know it can be a hassle for some to get the, the foundational knowledge and kind of the structure in place to do, you know, online delivery of statements or those bank links to your uh, various accounts. and. You know, I think historically there was this thought that maybe that was riskier than just having the check in the mail. But, you know, to your point, I think what we've seen is that um, if you have secure methods of communication, if you have secure methods of establishing those kinds of links that, um, you know, today in this in this day and age, those can often be a better way, a more secure way, but also a quicker way to get access to the information you need, the funds you need. And so, um, you know, we've, I, I think, in the past few years tried to push more and more people toward that uh, as a way to say, no, we do think that long term this is a safer strategy, and there are risks there, there are concerns there. But you know, again, I think if if you understand what they are, um, it's a way to help. And save. and more and more places are charging to have to deal with paper, so there's that aspect to it too. Yeah, there absolutely is, and so you know, I think as we kind of put the wrap on another good week here. Um, If you don't already get our newsletter, I'd encourage you to sign up. Uh, Plenty of good insights from Joel, from others here on what's going on in the world, on some of the risks that are out there. Um, And uh, if you don't know how to get access to it, you can always navigate to our website, and there's a place right on there. Or more importantly, just give us a call. We'd be happy to help you get signed up for it. Um, Because, again, I think at the core of what we do is education, and this is one more way we can get resources in front of people. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalkatlandis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>